Good morning, church. If you would, open your Bibles to Revelation 21. Verse 1 will be there in just a moment. Uh, I don't need that up yet, but uh, I'm happy to be with you. I'm honored to be with you. We did a congregational time, uh, timeline event a few weeks ago, and I got to meet you, and, and we got to do a little bit of work together, and then today we're going to do some uh, looking at some data that you've generated through the church health assessment. I think you'll find it intriguing, interesting, and meaningful. So I look forward to doing that with you after we're finished here. But first, a lesson. When I was about Judah, Judah's age, I was enamored with a post hole digger, or at least what a post hole digger could do. I was reared on about an acre and a half on the west side of Oklahoma City. My mom would say, you raise chickens and hogs and you rear children. So my brother and myself and my sister were reared on this acre and a half. It was about 40 yards wide and a block, a city block deep. And so our house faced 13th Street. So I, I grew up on 13th Street in Oklahoma City. About halfway back in the property were some outbuildings where we did raise some chickens and a horse from time to time and some sheep. But I didn't really grow up on a farm. It was just something my dad dabbled in. And then beyond that, the land rose, and we called that the back lot, and it was out of view of the house. And one day I was helping my father build a fence. Um, so I'm six or seven years old. I was really watching him build a fence, right? And he pulls out this thing that has two posts on it, and he plunged it into the ground, he pulled it apart, and it picked up some dirt and moved it. And I was fascinated. Like, look at that. I didn't know they made a tool that could do that. And then I got really fascinated by how round the hole was. And I'm looking at this hole that he's making, and, and I'm, I'm interested. And then he says, if I keep digging, he says it offhandedly, he says, if I keep digging, I'll reach China. And I said, China? I've never been to China. Wouldn't that be interesting? And so my seven-year-old mind and imagination began thinking, what would it be like to dig that far and to meet people on the other side and bring them through and invite them to dinner. Well, my dad didn't dig anymore because the post hole was done and we set the post and we went away. Well, the next day, I was still intrigued by the post hole digger, so I watched where my dad put it. He went off to work. I got the post hole digger and I went up on the back lot out of view of my mom and began to dig. The ground is a little sandy and so I got started slowly, but then it got a little bit better, and so the hole is starting to get a bit deeper, and so I start to use my body as a measuring stick to see how far I've dug. And so it starts at my shins, and I dig a little more, goes to my knees, a little bit more, up to my waist. I thought, this is a hassle getting out of this hole, so I dig for a long, long time with this postal digger. And then I thought, maybe I'm close. Maybe if I jump down into this hole and hit it with my feet, I'll knock through and I'll be on the other side and I can invite my friends to my home. So I jumped down into the hole, down past my shoulders. And now I'm looking at eye level with the dirt. And I'm stuck. And I can't get out. And now, since I wasn't an experienced digger, the dirt was close to the hole, and it began returning to the hole. And it began to come in on me. My life didn't pass 
by my eyes, but I did hear the sound of my mother calling my name. And so I screamed out, but she couldn't see me because the dirt I'd piled had blocked her view, so she could hear me, but she couldn't see me. But finally she came before too long, before too much dirt got into my mouth, and I soon found myself out of the hole, and my mom was uh, properly rearing me all the way from the hole to the house. And I felt my mother's love and the warmth of it that day, perhaps more than any other day of my life. My vision of reaching people through the ground was pure-hearted, but certainly ill-conceived and ill-fated. But since it was 50 years ago, it's, it's long-lived, but not that useful. So this church is looking for vision. It's trying to understand what's next. The definition of vision? The ability to see. That's one way to think about it. That's one definition. We use our eyes exceedingly well, and they are necessary for our life. If any of you have had any trouble with your vision, you know how important it can be. And if anybody in the room is impaired to the point of blindness, you recognize our society expects us to be able to see, really, and doesn't make much accommodation for it. When we see, neurologists would say we're using 50% of our brain capacity to see an image, have it pushed into our brain, and then understand what it is we're looking at. It's a really important sense that we have. Another way to think about vision is planning for the future using your imagination and wisdom. If, if a woman has a vision for the company that she's trying to build, she's seeing into the future and ex with expectation, using in her imagination to create images of what the future might bring. For our purposes as a church, perhaps a very good definition of vision is an image of the preferred future or an image of God's preferred future. And as we talk about vision, some very closely aligned words start coming to fore. You've heard them, imagination. If you're going to see an image with your eyes, you don't have to use your imagination to see it, but when you want to see something into the future, you're going to use the other parts of your brain to imagine what is next. You could even call it a dream. What are we dreaming or imagining? So this brings us to our scripture. Turn again to Revelation 21. And let's read what vision God has given John in this passage. John's been seeing a lot of things, lots of visions. And here's one from God that could be considered God's imagination for what could be ahead. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, out of heaven from God, coming down and prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be them with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. 
Everything is new. A new heaven and a new earth in this passage. God is saying that we are his people and he is our God and he will be with us. God with us, Emmanuel. He's also saying he'll wipe away every tear that we have. This church has shed some tears. No more need for tissue. The tears are gone. No more wakes. No more funerals. No more coffins. No more death. Right? No more opioids or concerns about being addicted to them because there's no more pain. Everything Everything is new in this imagination of God as he's put it to us. Jesus prays a prayer that is also his imagination or his hope, his desire, his dream. Turn to John chapter 17 and let's look at verse 20. This is Jesus' prayer in the garden before he's crucified. And while we could read the entire prayer, the part I want to concentrate on is this. Verse 20. My prayer, Jesus said, is not for them alone. Meaning, he's talking to God and he's talking about his disciples. I pray also for those who will be in me through their message. That's you and me. That all of them may be one, Father. Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus prays for hopes for, dreams for unity. So these two examples of the imagination of God or the dreams of God or the desires of God are things that we can use as a way to get into what we are called to do. Our vision, our imagination. You know, certainly we could imagine on our own. Uh, We imagine all kinds of things. We imagine terrible things and we imagine wonderful things. Our imaginations are a wonderful tool. We could, we could dream without God. We could make up something that we wanted to do on our own. But why, why would we? We're Christ followers, right? And so we engage dream, dreaming with God. Dreaming with God means listening to God. My friend Grady King says, if the Spirit of God lives in the people of God, then listening to the people of God is like listening to God. God is speaking to us. So we listen to him, and then we pray to him as well. We stay in communication with God as we dream and consider what might be next for us. What else can we do as people of God? We can consider what has God given us to use? What talents has he assembled here for us to use and to go forward with. Sometimes, because of our society, we live in a deficit society where we always are thinking about what we don't have. But when the apostles came to Jesus 
And they were concerned about the people fainting along the way because they'd been out in the desert for a while. Jesus didn't ask them, well, why didn't you figure that out before now? Or, what, what are you missing? What did he ask them? What do you have? What does Chanel Valley have that God has provided that you can use and move forward? So we dream with God. We work with God to create what's next. This is an opportunity for us. What is screaming out to be paid attention to in your neighborhood is another thing you could consider. What is the burden on your heart as you work out your salvation? As an individual, yes, but then as a collective, we begin to talk with one another about what it is that moves us and we want to see solved. Now we're having a conversation about what God is up to around us. So this is an opportunity for us to have a conversation about vision, about dreaming. If we dream something that we can accomplish, that's not a God-sized dream because we can accomplish it without God. So we dream big. We, we dream God-sized dreams that at the end, if that ever comes to fruition or if we ever start heading that direction, then all we can do is point to God, not to ourselves. So often, so often, we dream too small for what God might be able to do with us because we don't have what we need or because we think we're too small. This is a bit of, you know, a, a self-image. How are you thinking about yourselves? Well, if God is for us, who can be against us, right? So now we continue to dream. What does a dream get us? What does a God-sized dream create? It gives us something we can see. It's an image of the preferred future. This dream that we've created gives us something to grab a hold of, to possess and move on. It gives us a chance to say no to the things that don't pertain to the dream and say yes to the things that do. So we move forward. It's shared. It's communal. And so we're all in the same position. We're all heading toward the same goal when we dream together. You might say, well, are we going to dream together? Yes. The intention is that we are going to dream together. This isn't going to come from just elders and ministers and maybe even some, leader, some, some opinion leaders. It's going to come from all of us. We're all going to have this conversation as we move through. So we share it. It gives us something to live for, something to move toward. When Martin Luther King Jr. spoke his I Have a Dream speech, one of the things he dreamed for was his four little children would not be judged by the color of their skin, but the content of their character. Those kinds of statements are dream statements. They're vision statements. And creating a vision takes a bit of time. It's not something you do overnight. Because if we're going to talk with each other, and we're going to spend time with each other understanding what's next, we'll have to spend time together. We get to spend time together. We spend time together thinking about, talking about what's on our hearts, what's moving us. So we're dreaming with God. We're all dreaming together. And we're working this out as a team, as a group of people who are wanting to go the same 
direction. The dreams that I've mentioned have not been realized. God's dream of no more tears, no mourning, no death, has yet to come to earth. We certainly know that Jesus' prayer of unity has not to come to fruition. And Martin Luther King's dream is still yet to be seen. Visions sometimes never finish. They aren't a destination. They're a journey. But God will give us what we need to move in the direction he intends. Hudson Taylor, a famous uh, missionary to, the, to Asia, said God's work done God's way will not lack God's supply. You have what you need to do the work God calls you to. And if you don't, God will provide. You have that opportunity. Now, I know it's been hard. Uh, every church that I am working with now, it's just, it's just hard. Life is difficult. Every church is, at least was halved for a time by the COVID issue. And you've felt the pain of loss. Everyone has, but I know about some of the stories that you've told me. The mourning takes time. Grief, grieving takes time. And so I am not saying stop mourning, stop grieving. It's time to get over that. But you can, we can move and mourn, mourn and move. And moving in the direction that God points you is what we're looking for. So as we dream with God, we're connected to God, we're trying to understand what he wants us to do, and we have a place, we have a purpose, and we're going in that direction. No more mourning, no more tears, less pain. And to the degree that this body wipes away tears, and takes them away, you're leaning into God's dream. To the degree that you take away someone's pain, you're doing the work of God. And you're doing it now. You're taking away people's pain. You're wiping away tears. And while you can't take away death, you can be with people as they suffer through that, through that loss. This church is quite able to do the work that God has called you to. This next few months, we will be striving to uncover, discover God's intent for you going forward. I have purposely not given you examples of visions. Every church is unique. Context, your context is like none other. No one else has walked your walk. No one else has done it here. You know your community. You have, you're an original. And so as we work together over the next several months, I look forward to hearing what God says to you and how it is that we come together to find a direction that this church wants to go, a kind of church you want to become over the next several years.
I'm so honored to be a part of all of that with you. Let's pray. God, you are able, more able than we could ever understand. You have told us that you will give immeasurably more than we can even ask or imagine. I pray that you would do that for this church. Would you give them confidence in you, confidence that they will make a difference in the lives of people they don't even know yet, but also make a difference in the lives of those who are part of this family, who are just joining this family. Thank you for placing this church here so many years ago so that it can make a difference for you, for your kingdom, so these people can love one another and love others the way you love us. Thank you, God, for giving us a dream that we can pursue together. It's your name that I pray. Amen. You stand and sing.